Yeah. I think that's the key is just being a good person. So, I mean, I personally believe that there isn't like one true religion that's correct. I think that there's so many different kinds of people in the world that it makes sense that different people will be drawn towards different religions. Yep. And And, uh, some people... It's not even necessarily an organized religion that's going to be what draws them. It might just be connecting to something that's like a mission in life that will give them purpose and a reason to wake up. Absolutely. And that's what pisses me off about religion because every religion thinks it's the right one. So every religion thinks that they're the only ones going to heaven. Hmm. And how many wars have been fought over that concept? Yeah. Well. Uh, 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 so feel me when I bring it. Sing it loud. I'm from the loop and I'm proud. Run a mile for the cause. I'm right. Hi guys, it's your girl Nahama, your favorite Jew from the Lou. Welcome back to my podcast. So today I'm really excited to have with me my good friend James St. John. Say hi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) So James is one of my favorite human beings ever. He's so much fun. He brings so much energy every single day and I have the privilege of working just the cubicle set over next to him. And um, let's talk about how we first met. So we knew each other. We were friendly, but we hadn't quite like gone past that just friendly coworker vibe. Right, right. So what had happened was I overheard James having a conversation with another gal in our office, Maria, who was actually on two episodes ago. And uh, let's tell from your perspective, what were you guys talking about? So we were talking about uh, the Fox, the Fox Theater and tickets. And I have a friend that gets me tickets whenever I want for whatever show I want to. And I happened to mention that Wicked was coming up, <laughs> and Nahama popped up a cubo away and goes, I love Wicked. I sure did. And reminded me, didn't remind me, she, uh, she told me flat out, she goes, um, <laughs> I think you said that I literally am Galinda. I am. I literally am Galinda, and I have to see this show. And so I promised her at that moment, I said, if I get tickets, you're the first person I'll bring. Mm-hmm. So um, the day arrived when... I messaged my friend, and he said I had tickets at the box office. I said, Nahama, drop everything. We have tickets tonight. And she dropped everything, and we went and had the best time. I have to back up the story just a little bit, because what had happened was, is I had thrown out that little seed saying like, hey, next time, I'm your plus one. Take me with you. And then what had happened was, you did not have my number. So that was a, right. it was a rookie mistake on my end. So it w- you had tickets and it was a Sunday, but you didn't know my number. And I honestly didn't even have plans that day. It would have been perfect. I totally forgot that part. <laughs> yep. And then you told me that Monday it was like, happy Monday to me. You're like, guess what? You could have gone yesterday. I was like, and I didn't even have plans. <laughs> and then we're like, I'm fixing this right now. I gave you my number and I told you I don't have a life. I don't have plans. Whenever you need me, you just call me and I will drop everything and be there. And she kept her word. She did drop everything because the tickets aren't necessarily given to me in advance. I find out usually day of. And when I told her I got the tickets, we were on. We were on. Uh, She came over. We had some uh, time at the house here, at the loft. We had uh, a beverage. We uh, drove down there. Had an amazing evening. It was so much fun. And the seats were pretty good. It was amazing. I've never sat that close before. We were like maybe five rows. <laughs> five rows, yeah. <laughs> five rows from the center stage. So that was amazing. Um, but yeah, this episode is going to be a showstopper. So if you are listening to this while you're working out or while you're driving, I 
listen, you do you, listen wherever you want to, but I highly encourage you to maybe save this for later. Come home, pour yourself a glass of wine. If you're not drinking, get some chamomile tea, some CBD oil. You're going to need to just be in a vibe mode because this episode, we're going to tell all, we're going to tell all the hot goss, mm-hmm. and we're just going to dive right into it. Oh, hon, you know it. <laughs> I do. I do want to go a little deeper into the, our um, our Fox Theater experience in a second, but I actually want to start back to your childhood. Ah, okay. We're going to go backwards, and then we'll come back later and go into detail about the Fox oh, Theater experience. it's like psychology. Experience. Tell me about your mother. Yeah. Tell me about your childhood. Okay. Listen, if you want to understand anyone, you have to start with their childhood. Absolutely. And we all have an inner child in us that never really has been healed. Mm-mm. So. Oh, I'm so glad you actually said that. I was just having a conversation with my little sister about that, too. Oh, really? And we were talking about our inner children, and she referenced hers in a manner about a bad experience. And it reminded me, oh, yeah, I still have that, that little guy inside me. I thought he was there. Yeah. Well, sometimes people aren't aware So let's talk about that little guy. (laughs) You were telling me briefly about your family's religious background. Oh, yeah, that was a real hot mess. Um, Being being, uh, religious as a child, you really don't have a lot of choice. You are doing what your parents tell you to do. Mm -hmm. You want to make them happy. You want them to smile and pet you and love you. And so you'll do whatever it takes to earn that. And I was raised in the Assembly of God Church as a child. Uh, I couldn't tell you anything about it, really, besides the absolutely frightening speaking in tongues, which, as a child, was a true... uh, It just really messed me up seeing that. But um, my parents eventually... We moved out of Southern California to uh, Central Oregon, and we were... We became Mormons, which was another cult in my opinion. I was eight years old, and we were baptized in the church, and my parents wanted some sort of direction, some sort of connection to God, or how they felt they should have something to God, and I just followed along with them. But as I grew older, I started realizing this was more of a cult-like thing, paying tithing to the church to be a member. Um, the, The laying on of hands when there was you know, a health issue. They, you didn't go to a doctor, they laid on hands. I mean, what is that about? I, don't get, I didn't get it. And the older I got, the more I realized that I had a voice. And coming out at an early age, realizing that I, I was gay, I realized that the church was going to not be the place I wanted to be. Um, the one I went to in Central Oregon, it became less of an experience of church and more of a fashion show. The haves versus the have-nots. Oh. The haves always dressed very well, and the have-nots, like we were, dressed with what we had. But we were reminded we were the have-nots. Wow. Yeah. I can't believe your family like switched religions while you were just like nine years old. It was it was a uh, you know really messed with my mind on that part. Um, along with baptisms for the dead, that was crazy. When I was a teenager, we went to the Salt Lake Temple, and they baptize you in the name of people that have long passed, that may have had an opportunity to be a member of the Mormon church. So they're literally baptizing people into their religion who have no say, but they feel that they have the right to do so. Okay. And you said that you were one of nine siblings. Yes, I was number eight of nine. Okay. And how many of your siblings to this day kept up their Mormon faith? Absolutely zero. Really? Wow. Yeah, none of them. Did your parents? No, my parents actually left the church 
um, and just sort of adopted more of a, a spirituality, less religion, religious space, more spiritual. My mom always read her Bible. She always had her beliefs. She always grounded in that, but she never really affiliated with any particular religion after that. It, it really, it really did not give our family any sense of direction or guidance in a spiritual manner. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are spiritually connected. They just tend to not know which religion is best for them. Right. So I definitely can relate to that. And I, I think that a lot of people need to realize that that spirituality and religion are two completely separate things. Absolutely. Religion is a, is a form of control in some fashion. And spirituality is your personal beliefs. And you can believe in God. You can believe in whatever you want to. You can even call him John or, I don't know... Whatever entity you want to, just as long as you're believing that you're in that in that faith, you have a strong will to be a good person, to do right, to live the the way that we were taught many years ago to be kind to others, to do unto others, to not judge. Yeah, I think that's the key is just being a good person. Yeah. So I mean, I personally believe that there isn't like one true religion that's correct. I think that there's so many different kinds of people in the world that it makes sense that different people will be drawn towards different religions. Yep. And, and uh, some people, it's not even necessarily an organized religion that's going to be what draws them. It might just be connecting to something that's like a mission in life that will give them purpose and a reason to wake up. Absolutely. And that's what pisses me off about religion because every religion thinks it's the right one. So every religion thinks that they're the only ones going to heaven. Hmm. And how many wars have been fought over that concept? Yeah. Well... I mean, in Judaism, we do believe that everyone goes to hell, so first. That's, well, that seems more easy. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you think about it logically, we all are human. We all err, but we also all do good. Most people have both elements in them, and there might be different seasons in your life where you're one or the other. So in this world, we believe like you are quite literally creating the next world, both your mm. heaven and your hell. Okay. And so when you pass... After you go through like judgment, you have to pay your dues. Okay. Go to hell. Mm -hmm. And then once you've paid your dues, unless you're someone like absolutely horrible, like Hitler, who will remain there for the rest of eternity, then you get to spend the rest of eternity in heaven. Oh, I, I did not know that. That's kind of an interesting concept. I like it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't I don't mind the fact that that you're going to hell in the afterlife, but you're earning your way back to you know salvation and we, right and we also believe that you know like there's one way is like through hell another way is you could have family members or friends who can do good deeds in this world to help you get brownie points in the next world and the cool thing about the brownie points is that it doesn't take away from your own you still get the brownie points for doing good things but you can also like tag team oh it's like extra credit with other people give it to them you know and uh or you can there's reincarnation you can come back Oh, I've always believed in that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I definitely don't want to go through puberty again. <laughs> That's it's too much. <laughs> Once was enough. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, the good news is you don't remember if you've had pre previous lives. Right, right. But, you know, I think some people like I've always felt like I was an old soul. Mm -hmm. So I think you can kind of tell. Yeah, I think that I, intuition. Yeah. I think so, too. I, I, I like that idea. Um, Reincarnation has always been something I believed in. Unfortunately, it did not mesh well with uh, my Mormon upbringing and all that BS that went with it. How old were you when you came out? Oh, gosh. I always knew I was different, even as a child. Yeah. Always knew. I had the biggest crush on Captain Kirk. I really did. I would watch, so cute. watch Star Trek every Sunday with my dad at 4 p.m. 
We'd sit there together, we'd watch it, and I would just drool over this attractive man, not knowing why I was so attracted to him. I, I mean, you're not raised to be gay. There's no book on it. There's no, in my community, there was nobody there to, to talk to or to help me. Mm-hmm. I had to figure it out. And it was probably when I was hmm, 14, 15, when I really started recognizing it. And, you know, I would get, you know, people pick on me at school, and I would deny it because we didn't do say yeah in a small farming community of 5,000 people. So right. I, I managed the best I could. And it wasn't until I moved away to a large metropolitan area, Portland, Oregon, where I realized that I could actually express myself, be myself, and not be ashamed or be picked on or be, be ridiculed or threatened. I felt safe. And this is also a very appropriate time to have this conversation because even though this episode isn't going live while we're recording, but it is Pride Month. Oh, yeah. So just had to throw that out there. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. But I have to ask because you did, you really threw me for a loop and gave me a humdinger earlier today (laughs) because like I knew you were gay, but like you told me that you were actually married to a woman. So... When did that happen? How did that happen? You have to give me more information. Okay, okay. So we're going to back up to, I was living in Seattle, and I was part of the Seattle Men's Chorus, um, singing with them, a very big group of men that would give concerts every quarter, tour, tour the States, tour Europe. And they were hosting a big choral, gay choral event in Seattle where all these choruses from around the world came in for this, this celebration. And I met some really nice people from there, especially this, these people from London. And I was at the end of this relationship. This guy was a narcissist. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> and um, I just felt like I needed to, to get out. I needed to just get away from everything. I was feeling very trapped. So we established this friendship. I had a job at a company I could transfer to London with. And so I started the transfer. Got all the paperwork done. Got it taken care of. Got to stay with my friends. I took what I could literally carry with me. Suitcases, my bicycle, all the things I could take. Got on the plane, got to London, stayed with my friend, got there oh, about five days before the job started, and I got a call from the home office in London revoking my um, employment status because they suddenly felt that somebody there could do the job instead. So I didn't have a home, didn't have a relationship, didn't have a job. Wow. And so uh, in the neighborhood I was staying with my friends, there was a, a gay pub called September's, and he took me there to have a drink and just uh, to talk. And I met the bartender, I met the owners. They liked me, they hired me on the spot to be a bartender. <laughs> so I started bartending at this I pub. I could so see you being a bartender. <laughs> and then I started meeting these people that worked at this uh, company, it was a media company called Pink Paper, and they were the accounting execs. And we got to know them, and they said, hey, we think you'd be really great with your background. Why don't you come do some work for us? So I went and did some work for them, reconciling their petty cash books. They liked my work, they hired me on the spot, paid me under the table, to just you know, keep doing uh, accounting work. And then I, from there, I, I noticed all these ads are going in the newspaper about people seeking uh, mutual benefits with other people. It's like men were looking for women mutual benefits. What they were looking for were, were gay men looking for lesbians that wanted to be married so they could get citizenship or status. Okay. So using all the codes, I decided to put in an ad. I wanted to stay in the country. So I put in an ad met some nice my, nice women, and I met this one girl, and she and I connected. I met her girlfriend, she met my best friend, we hung out a lot, and then we decided that we were gonna do the marriage thing. 
So we spent weeks and weeks going over all the questions that the home office would ask you, like, what color is your toothbrush? What side of the bed does he sleep on? You know, what's his favorite color? Things like that. And we went through all these questions. We went to the home office to get married. And all they asked us was, you know, do you love each other? Yes. Stamp. Okay. So it was really a marriage in, like, name only. Of convenience. Correct. She wanted to come to the States. I wanted to stay there. That's all it was. So um, I brought her back to the States uh, for a class reunion, uh, met my family, met my friends, we hung out. We, we walked into this class reunion. Now, don't forget, I come from a small farming town. So we walked in in our in my three-piece European suit. She was in a linen, um, a linen outfit, you know, long sleeves and palazzo pants. Uh, my best friend came with me. We were just gossiped about all night, and we ate it up. So it was they so worth it. didn't know. Nope. They totally were like, oh, wow, he did well for himself. <laughs> He's on to the big city. No clue. Wife. No clue. It was fantastic. And your family? My family knew, and they were accepting. Okay. My mom was very happy I got married, and she, I think she fooled herself into believing that it was a real thing. Yeah. Because she wanted that more than anything. And I told her year after year, not going to happen. Not going to happen. But um, she had her, her own way with it. But uh, yeah, so uh, I was married to her. We had a great party. All my friends were there. Um, wonderful time. And then when I decided to come back to the States, she had an issue with her girlfriend who was abusive to her. And she had to disappear into a witness protection program wow. thing for battered women. And I lost contact with her. And Never since? No, no. That's crazy. So did the government legally divorce you? Not that I know of. Okay. Yeah. Not that I, I have no idea. And I, I, I don't know if after so many years of non-contact, if it just becomes annulled or void, but I would think so. You never... But you might be married. But I might be married. Who knows? That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's an it's a odd little story. My ex-partner was so hung up on the fact that I was still married, he kept insisting I had to go get it taken care of. I'm going, why? It's not your life. It's not your past. It's not your issue. Why are you so obsessed? I never found out. Well, he was so obsessed with about me getting it taken care of. It made no sense. Well, you said that he was an, a narcissist. Oh, yeah. One of many. Right. So I would, from what I've gathered about narcissists is that um, it usually will come out with them being controlling and wanting to be the one and only and jealousy. So I possibly, think, I think that's probably it. Just the fact that knowing that you might, even if not even like emotionally, but just technically belong to someone else. Yeah. It's just, it was too much. It's just ridiculous. I mean, yes, but that's because we're emotionally stable. <laughs> right, people. right, right. So at this, uh, at this day, at uh, this time, I am still married. I have a wife somewhere in, in England, I think. Um, and I hope she's well and happy. I didn't realize they had witness protection programs for people who had abusive partners. Yes. That's fascinating. Abusive partners, you know, spouses, whatever. They, they have a very, very intricate and well-run program to help people in need. I think it's really interesting that um, like a gay man and a lesbian woman got married so that they could have like their green card essentially, right? Pretty much, yeah. And um, nowadays I've heard of a lot of people who will, like a guy will find a gay man and who, so he can get his green card. Right, right. Because back then it wasn't legal in the States. Right. This was the, the 90s. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really was only recently mm-hmm. within the past few years. Oh, it's been a minute. Okay. I have no concept of time. I have no concept of time. It's fine. It's, it's only been a minute that some states have recognized it. Some states 
uh, still do not, uh, though the government does, not all states will accept the government's, you know, saying it. So it's just, it's a real battle. Yeah. So going into like the concept of relationships, I feel like right now, everywhere I look, like every TikTok or like YouTube short or Instagram, we are like, everyone's talking about narcissists. And I just, I'm not denying that they exist. I know that they exist. I just feel like, why do you think that now it's become so an over-talked subject? Is it because it was, are there that many of them? Or is it that common to deal with? Why is it being brought out now? I think it is more common than we were ever led to believe and that it was never really talked about because the signs of a narcissist aren't usually seen until you're well entrenched in the relationship or even later. Um, it's very insidious type of person. You're made to feel unworthy. You're made to feel that things are your fault. You spend so much of your time trying to please them that you lose yourself in that process. You lose who you are because your, your entire self is devoted to making them happy because if they're happy, you're happy. Their happiness comes first. For some reason, they've been able to condition you to do that. Breaking out of that kind of relationship is one of the hardest brainwashing things I've ever seen. I've just since my last one, I've noticed more and more people are going through the same thing. We're having these conversations and I tried to explain um, to the guy I'm dating now what it's like being in a narcissistic relationship. And he says, oh, I know. I said, no, you don't. Well, my friend went through it. Well, your friend went through it. You didn't. Your friend went through it. Your friend and I can talk about what this feels like, how, how hard it is to recover, how, how, how much I don't trust you because of this. And I just, and we've been dating now for a number of months, but I don't trust you because I don't have that skill set because it was taken from me. Yeah. Are there any, you said that you don't normally realize it till you've been like entrenched in that relationship and you're hooked essentially at that Pretty point. Pretty much. Yeah. So is there any way to know beforehand? Are there any signs? How can a person know? I don't really think there is based on my experience and what I've heard. I think that when we're looking for love, we're looking for companionship, a partnership, a mate of some kind, we all put on different faces. We all put on a different air. We are still ourselves, but we wear a different mask, a different hat, just to kind of appeal to the situation or the moment. Yeah. And because of that, that lacks reality. And in that lack of reality that we're not being true to ourselves and them, they do the same thing to us, but on a much deeper level. And they appeal to us in ways that we hadn't necessarily considered at first, but it really kind of stokes the fire of want and desire. And this person could be the one, I like this guy, you know, whatever. And it's only when you're in it after, let's say, a year or two, where things start to get questionable. But at that point, you're so hooked that you don't really realize that's what's going on. And you keep asking yourself, what, have I, what did I do? How can I make it better? How can I fix this? You wind up taking control and responsibility of everything without realizing it was never yours in the first place. Well, I have heard recently there was a, a girl whose podcast I absolutely love. It's called Almost Adulting. <laughs> and she talks about how... It's not that you, like if you're a certain person who's like, oh, I must attract a certain vibe. I only attract a narcissist. I only attract certain okay. types of people. Um, any Narcissists are attracted to everyone. They Correct. don't necessarily have a specific target. It's more about like if you will allow them mm -hmm. to come into your life and what are your boundaries. And I would say like for you specifically, you have such a big heart and you're such a giving person that maybe that's something that they find easy to prey on, which is a shame because, I mean, that's something that should be valued. That's something we should all aspire to have. 
That, that, I thank you for that. And I think that is a valid comment because in the last relationship, I felt that's what was happening, but I didn't see that till much later. Um, it was all the control. We'd have an argument and he'd try and throw me out saying, well, the house is in my name. And I would say, well, it doesn't work that way. And he'd get pissed off because he wasn't in control suddenly. And when I put my foot down to make my statement that I wasn't going to do what he wanted, it just stoked the fires of anger with him even worse. And it just got harder and harder. And that's where you had to learn to step away, to stop talking and step away and not visit it for as long as it took. Not give in to that anger because all he's doing is pushing your buttons. All you're doing is responding, feeding him. I wonder if people get into relationships too young nowadays. Like we start dating, well, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In my world, we weren't allowed to talk to guys. Um, But (laughs) yeah, no, not me. But like in the typical world, I feel like most people start dating in like elementary school. They'll have like their little girlfriend or boyfriend who they, you know, will hold hands with. Mm -hmm. And like that's a relationship. But you know, and then high school is usually when people start to like maybe last a few months. But even so, like your heart is so vulnerable, but you are putting yourself in a situation where someone can hurt you. Right. And that's such an important time when you should be developing. Right. And where does that come from? That whole expectation of these time frames of when you're in high school, you should be doing this and meeting people or go to college and meet someone to get married. It's, it's how we're brought up by the people that did it before us and how society, I think, tells us that this is the expectation. Yeah. We don't think outside that expectation. We we adopt it. It's like a it's like a foster child. We just adopt it and love it, even though it may not be the right thing for us. So I'm very into manifesting. Okay. Huge. I really believe in like law of attraction and what you put out into the world is what you're going to receive back. Yes. Um and I don't feel like that's a conflict with my faith. That's still very much a part of it. But um It was so interesting because like you said, there's a lot of societal pressures. So for me, even from a young age, there was that pressure to get married and that's Mm -hmm. what you should aspire to. And so a lot of us, like my friends and I, we were talking how when we were younger, we would act a certain way because the mothers of the boys that we liked would be watching us and they would keep us in mind because one day when we were marriageable age, like we wanted to marry the best boys. And then it was really like very intentional, but it caused a lot of stress. And in a way I feel like I kind of lost out on my childhood because I was so serious about wanting to be a certain way. So there wasn't a lot of freedom because I wanted to get perfection and I was in it to win it. But were you also seeking perfection and in it to win it to please your parents? For sure. For sure. And they didn't even put that on me. That was just me like naturally wanting that like attention. I think we're sponges as kids and we continue to be sponges even through our teens because we're still looking for acceptance and ways to please and then fighting the hormones of the rebellion, ways to fight back, trying to find our identity. And we are just a mess until we're out of that entire phase into our 20s. Well, yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, you grow up a certain way with a certain set of values and it's all your classmates, it's your friends, it's your community, it's your family, and nobody wants to stand out in a negative way. You want to fit in. That's our primal need that we all have. So to not fit in is really, really scary. So we want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to be acknowledged. We want to be a part of something. Um, when I was in, in high school, I, I dated girls just casually because it was expected. Mm-hmm. Even though I knew I was different, it was expected of me. 
and my mother would always ask me, you know, well, who are you dating? What's her name? You know, bring her over, blah, blah, blah. And at one point I started realizing this is not me. This is not who I am. Yeah. I was uh, in my early 20s. I'd moved to Portland and I started seeing this guy named Michael. And my mom called me one Sunday to catch up. She goes, so I hear you're not seeing Roxanne anymore. Who are you seeing? What's her name? And I said, his name is Michael. Ah, was that her first time knowing that you had a boyfriend? Mm-hmm. Wow, what a way to just yeah. drop it. You know, I kind of figured I'd had enough of her um, constant meddling. meddling and manipulation and expectation. So the phone drops, my dad picks it up, and he said, what's wrong? Your mom's crying. <laughs> I told mom I'm gay. I'm dating a guy named Michael. He goes, oh, okay. Are you sure? <laughs> it's like, yes, dad. I didn't wake up suddenly and say, I'm going to be gay today. I'm going to wear those shoes. I said, no, dad, I've known this. I just haven't said anything for years. He goes, okay, well, are you happy? Yeah, and he goes, okay, then I'll take care of your mom. Wow. Go, Dad. That was a really great response. It was an amazing response. It just it blew my mind that my yeah. dad was so casual and calm, which is all I ever wanted it yeah. to be. To be fair, my dad had dementia when I stopped being as religious, so it's hard to say what his reaction would have been beforehand. But um, I remember there was like, when I go to the gym, I usually wear like these, this set where it's like a leggings and like a tennis skirt, but it's like mini. And compared to how we had to dress growing up, we had to wear skirts that were like covering our knee, if not four inches below the knee. So wearing like a mini skirt, like to other people, they're like, wow, you really wear a lot of layers to the gym. And it's like, you do not understand. I am so (laughs) risque right now. This is insane. (laughs) And I showed up the first time that I got her and I was trying it on I was about to like sneak out and like go to the gym my mom's like "Eh, where are you going and like she pulls me over to my dad and my dad's like she's like do you see what your daughter is wearing my dad's like what it covers all the important bits (laughs) ah I love it she's so sweet um that's that's the best yeah my dad definitely has like unconditional love for me which is really nice to have yeah my my dad uh did too he was my stepdad but he was I said that since I was five, maybe the, six. The dad. So he was always my dad. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't didn't care what the uh, what blood was or not. So he was my dad. The law of attraction, going back to that, is such a real thing. And I remember seeing a clip once where I kind of combined in my mind like prayer with law of attraction. So for me, instead of being like the universe, I say like God. So it's like. God will give you what you put out there. You have to be open to receive the blessings and like you have to be deserving of them. And so it's like you want something, you have to be equally deserving of it, right? So it's like I started dating for marriage at the age of 19. Oh my. Yeah. And it's so funny because the first guy that I dated, hope he does not listen to this. Anyways, (laughs) um, (laughs) I was so in love with him. I thought I was going to marry him. And it's so interesting because I wonder if I was in love with him or was it just that he was the first guy that I ever dated? And so I was like, wow, you know? And it's so interesting because he ended up breaking up with me, which is fine. But if he hadn't, I wonder if I would have married him at the age of 19, like my life would have been so different. Not necessarily bad or good, just just different. different yeah it's so interesting to think about that sometimes looking back but to my point like I was dating different guys over the years nothing was quite working out and um, then I went on my whole religious journey where figuring out what religion meant for me versus right. like doing it just because my parents raised me that way I wanted to live my life intentionally and not doing it just because it was 
expected. I like that. But the question then became, if everything that you want to manifest, if that's your deepest desires, it will happen to you. And I saw it happening in other areas of my life. If that were the case, then how come me wanting to get married, which is like my deepest desire, just was not happening? Until I saw this little clip on YouTube where this guy said that if you really, really want something or you think you do and you just it's not coming to you, you have to maybe think, is it what you want or is it something that you have been pressured mm. to think that you want? Okay. Which is so powerful. And then it got me, no, I was like, no, I do want it. What do you mean I don't want it? <laughs> Denial. Denial. <laughs> Denial. Um, but I think, honestly, I did not want to get married at 19 or 20 or 21, 22, 23. Like, I didn't. In fact, I remember when I turned 23, I remember being like, I think it's dumb to get married or even really start dating anyone seriously before you're 25. And my big argument was because your frontal lobe isn't developed yet. <laughs> Really? Yeah. That's your argument? That was my argument. You, I'm like, you fell you, on science? Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like, you can't make logical decisions if you don't know who you are. Like, I mean, sometimes it works out for people and God bless them. But to be honest, I think I'm right. Because more and more, I've seen a lot of people who in the Jewish community who are like getting separated or getting divorced or... You know, honestly, I don't even think divorce is the worst thing. I think the worst thing is being married and being unfulfilled. Like, it's not even abusive. It's not a bad marriage. You just kind of be like, meh. Yeah, you're just you're just existing because you don't make the step to either get divorced or move on or something. Um, the expectation was there when you got married because that was what was wanted by everyone around you and you perhaps bought into it. I don't know. See, the funny thing is, is like just talking about marriage, I was telling my mom how like it's not it's not exactly goals per se, but I do have a 13 year plan. Just things that I would love to happen in the next 13 years. And then I was like, shit, I forgot to get married and have kids. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like I don't think it's going to happen. I just think, I just don't think it's something you can force. It is not. And I it think the most magical things in life happen when you're not looking for them. And they just organically happen because if you yes. think about the most attractive people, whether it's friends or coworkers or just people or, you know, romantically, you're just like, I like you. I want you in my life. Like, for example, you, Aww. how our friendship started yes. <laughs> was in the office. I heard you talking about the Fox, which is like, yes. <laughs> and um, you sounded like you were such an expert. And I know I enjoyed it, but I definitely... I'm not an expert. It's just something I enjoy. You heard the word wicked. I heard wicked. And I was like, yes. And you are so pa you're so passionate about everything that you say. And I just, every day you walk in and your outfits are just so dapper and snazzy. And Aww. yeah. You're just saying that because it's true. I, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm going to start saying that in my life. That's actually perfection. Um, you're just saying that because it's true. It is true. And that is why I'm saying it. Um, <laughs> but no I definitely think that when someone is full of life and living their purpose especially if they have a mission and they're trying to achieve something that energy so attractive it's attractive it's it's magnetic it's magnetic it's a it's a it's like you're a when you see it you are the moth and it is the flame because yep. you're drawn right to it and I've, I've known many people like that uh, I, I, I find your uh, incredible sense of joie de vivre to be so 
magnetic and so bright. It outshines everybody else there. I mean, as much as I, I, I love Kristen and some of the other people in our office, shouldn't have said names, <laughs> um, some outshine others and those are the people that I think of first because the impression they left on me was wow. Wow, that really, really, you know, made me feel amazing just being in their presence. Aww. Well, there's, 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 there's a psychic almost, it sounds bad, a psychic vampire type of thing that happens because when you're around that kind of person, you start feeding off it. But you're not doing it to, to take from them. You're doing it to be, to be more like them because you, yeah. you are attracted to that. You want that. You want to be just as amazing and bright and engaging uh, as they are. And I think it brings to the surface things that you always wanted but perhaps never did or achieved. And I will tell you that this is not something that came naturally to me. This wasn't who I always was. Well, maybe it was always there. But it was definitely muted because I I very much wanted to be like others. And when I was little, I was bullied. Yeah, from like second grade to eighth grade. Kids are, kids are mean. They are mean, but I, they also were just jealous. You know? That's how I feel it. Oh, okay. I'm I'll just like, that, I, yeah. I assume that's what happened. So that's the story. That's the narative. It's my life. So it's, I your, get to, it's, it's your story. I, I, I so will, that's I will read I'm it. I'm narrating it, that they were just jealous and they didn't know how that they can just be friends with, with me. So instead they were mean to me because they didn't know how to deal with their insecurities. Um, but either way, you know, life moved on, went to high school and I was actually pretty popular in high school. It was like a 360 or 180. 360 is a full circle. Because you would have been back where you started, girl. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. That did not happen. in high school like I was in second grade. No, no. High school was great. And I think um, that was kind of the beginning of where I started this thing. I saw this book, never read it, but the title sticks with me to this day, which is Be Yourself, Everyone Else Is Already Taken. Oh, Oh, I kind of like that. You know, you see other people and you see qualities about them and you're like, man, I wish I could be like them. And you start trying to be like them. But the problem is they are the most unique version of themselves. So at best, you are going to be like a copycat. You're never going to authentically give off the same energy and vibe and charm and charisma. The only way you can do that is by being yourself. And by the only way to be charismatic is when you fully accept yourself. Because when you fully yes. accept yourself, and what I mean by that is, it's not that you've come to a place of perfection and awesomeness. It's more of, I'm flawed, and I'm working on myself, and it's okay. That's it. You it's know? okay. It's okay. It's, it's okay to recognize that the flaws are part of who you are, and they're just as beautiful. And you own them. As everything else about it. Ex exactly. It's when you when you see the flaws as mistakes. You see the flaws as things that are bad or negative and you try and hide them or obfuscate them with something else, another personality that you like of someone else. Yep. You're not being genuine. You're so disingenuous because you disrespect yourself. Well, I really think the main thing is, is that everyone just wants to feel accepted. It's that inner child full circle. We're going back to that. Every person has this inner child that just wants someone to say, I love you. I accept you. You're cool. And so when you are like that within yourself and you give people that safe space, that permission to be themselves, they just can be like, ah, like a big weight has been lifted off their shoulders and they could be real with you. And that's what makes you charming. 
I think, as we talked earlier about society's expectations and pressures, that when we view ourselves as not achieving those, I think that's where we start seeing flaws that we think we have. And shame. And shame. So much shame. Oh my God. Um, it, is, it, is a, it is a vicious cycle of us chasing our tails for something that was never there to begin with until someone told us. Yeah, well, they told us going back to the whole marriage thing. This is just one little hot topic I'm going to bring up is so Yom Kippur is one of the highest holiest holidays in the Jewish calendar. And so every year everyone gathers at synagogue or we say shul and the rabbi gives a speech before we begin. Now, every year, the past like few years, the rabbi started this tradition that's honest to God, the most awful thing that has ever happened to me in my whole life, Ooh. which is. In English, you call it Psalms. Yeah. In Hebrew, we say Tehillim. Yes. So he'll say, okay, everyone, before we begin, we need to take a look around the room at all of the older singles. Mind you, the first year he did that, I think I was 24. And he was like, and so we're all just sitting there awkwardly. And he's like, everyone, take a look at the older singles and let's all join together in prayer for them that they find their spouse. And I remember being like, you know what? That's a good point, Rabbi. Like, let's forget about world can, a uh, world like you know world wars hunger, and world cancer, hunger, cancer. Yeah. Like, forget that. Let's let's pray for the single people. Oh, not the single people. The older the singles. The older single people. That really sucks. <laughs> That's right, because once a girl hits twenty three, her value just goes down. Oh so my let's God. forget I about got, it. I'm drying up inside. Someone get me. <laughs> This is awful. I mean, it really is. Someone's got to give the man a memo. But um, like I said, like there's a lot of pressure. And so then it just takes away from like the beauty of the experience. I think I think that's a very important point you make is the pressures. The pressures are from without. They come Mm -hmm. from without from outside of us. And yet we we bring them in and then they're from within and we manifest them. And it becomes so much harder because Someone else gave it to us. It's, right. a, it's a nasty gift they gave us. But then you don't manifest it because it's not your actual desire. You have to be, and you have to be conscious to not manifest. But you won't because if it's not really your desire, it will not manifest. But what, about what I'm saying is that if the pressure's there and you feel the pressure's happening against you, you start feeling guilt or anger or frustration or something that you why aren't why why aren't I? Or you start taking yourself apart, and that's part of those those flaws that are manufactured I see it's it's when you realize that that it's not yours it never was yours it was somebody else's that's when you realize that the flaws that that they're trying to impose upon you they're just they're not there isn't it so freeing when you get to that point where you're just like I don't know what I'm exactly supposed to do but I choose I choose joy I choose happiness I choose me I choose life I choose to follow Be kind. I choose to follow a path that I dictate, not the pressures and expectations and whims of others. Yeah. And that might mean that your path looks different, but that's that's actually fun and it's okay. That's where I am in my life, is still discovering this. Yeah. You know, we were talking about narcissists earlier. You know, um, you know, having a narcissistic boyfriend last time and I've had a string of narcissistic boyfriends my entire life because my mother was a narcissist and I never knew it until after she passed. When I started talking to my family about it and started putting the stories together and the pieces of the puzzle, realizing that all the shame and guilt she made us feel was for her benefit. It was illegitimate, but it was something that she needed to feed off of us so that she could feel better about herself. 
See, that's crazy to me. It's like one thing to have a relationship with a narcissist, but like your mom is like one of the most important relationships in your life. When I found out the lifelong lie she told me, and I just found this out like in the last year, I was devastated. And I was, I was so mad and angry because I couldn't do anything about it because right. she had passed. She had just passed the year before, uh, Christmas of 2021. And as I'm putting together all these narcissistic things about my mom and I wanted to just you know, rail against her and say, why did you do this? Why did all that you ever gave me was a lie and you taught me that narcissism is the only relationship I should ever be deserving of? Yeah. And that's all I ever had all my life. And the crazy thing is, is that even if she were alive, that conversation wouldn't have been a productive one. It wouldn't have been. And the only, the only saving grace I can possibly think of that would have come of it was I would have said something to her and that's it. Yeah. P productive or not, uh, result or not, I would have at least been able to tell her to her face, this is what you did. And I hate saying this out loud, but I will. I've spent all my life loving my mother. And after that happened, the last year, I realized I hated her. Wow. And that's a hard thing for me to say. You know, I will say, though, that the opposite of love is, is not hate. What is it? Indifference. Oh. It's still the same passion. You see, okay. you, you do love your mother. She just caused you a lot of pain. And like she, the role that a mother's supposed to do, she failed to mm, do. I see that. And the thing about narcissism is that it's, so they say, according to the psychologists and professionals, as of right now, they seem to think that there is no cure for it. It is what it is, you know? And so I think one of the hardest things about young adulthood, whether you're a teenager or your early 20s, you realize your, your parents are human. Mm-hmm. And they err, and sometimes they really fuck up. Mm -hmm. Pardon my French. And uh, oh, I've been waiting for that all damn podcast, man. I've been trying. <laughs> I've been holding my tongue. <laughs> um, and so I think what happens is you just realize that your parents are human, and it's disappointing. It's a really, it's something hard that everyone has to go through. And it's, everyone's different to that conclusion. But um, you, you just realize your parents did the best. That could with the tools that they had and so if she was a narcissist her toolbox wasn't very full to be no, the best no. mom you know it's unfortunate but the world is lucky because it has you so you were necessary and um, in Judaism we believe the reason I love birthdays side note is because in Judaism we believe that everyone matters and there's no coincidences so there's no oops babies or anything like that so when you're born, it means that the world can no longer exist without your presence. It Ooh. held out long enough and you're here. That's powerful. And every year that it's your birthday, it means that your purpose is still relevant. You still matter because if not, you would die. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And if you think about all the people who attempt to die and don't, you know, because they're not done yet. No, no. And so God's like, <laughs> You're not in charge. I'll let you know when you can die. <laughs> now is not the day. It's funny you even said that um, about the purpose you bring into the life because it's with others. I've always believed the people that come into your life are there for a reason. People don't come into your life happenstance. They're not there just because. No. They're there because they serve a purpose. Always. And you may never know what that purpose is, but what you do know is in that fellowship and camaraderie, you're enjoying finding out. And days and years can go by and you may still never know, but you'll always remember that person made an impact. It's true. In some fashion, small or big. 
And sometimes you make impacts in other people's lives and you will never know. I understand that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've experienced that. And I will say with your mom, like, I'm sure you feel a little frustration because you didn't actually get to speak your frustration or your anger or mm-hmm. your hurt or your pain. But um, I think in a lot of relationships, people are very into closure. I want closure. I want to be able to say my piece and say my <laughs> word. Right. I want right, right. to stick it to the man. But it never actually makes you feel better if you do it. For example, when I was in eighth grade, um, I confronted my bully. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, fly on the wall for that one. I literally just called her on the phone. So I didn't do it face to face. I didn't have enough guts to do that. But I called her and I asked her and I said, why did you bully me? Just straight up. And she started crying and she said, I don't know. Oh. Wow. Yeah. She knew. But what's she going to say? I hate your guts. You annoy me. Like <laughs> <laughs> The fact that she cried because maybe it's the fact that she couldn't say the truth or that you called her on it. Mm-hmm. Maybe there must have been some genuine sorrow. So let me ask you something. How do you think I felt when, she, when I actually confronted her? Um, knowing you, you probably felt a righteous indignation to find the truth. Yeah, but you know what? Afterwards, that peacefulness or that sense of closure that everyone thinks they'll have when they confront whatever issue they're having, I didn't feel it. No, no because you're the only one who can give yourself closure. See what I mean? It's I do. your story. You choose how to end that. I'm still developing this sort of process. And because I'm a Libra, mm-hmm. I didn't want an answer. I wanted justice. Ah. I wanted balance. I didn't need a closure. I wanted balance. Well, as a recovering type A. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> I, uh, I like to say, listen, my first thing when I was trying to like redecide my faith and restructure it and figure out what it meant to me authentically was my relationship with God. And so like, the one thing that me and God have a deal with is that like I can only handle so much. And so I pass it on to him, whatever I can't deal with. I don't Mm. want to deal with doing justice. Like that is so much of a headache. Anything that doesn't bring me, like I'm in a place in my life where I want joy and I want inner peace. And so I try to control what I can control. But if something, it feels like I'm bashing my head against a wall and it's causing me like anxiety and stress, that is clearly something that, I can't change and it's out of my control. And Absolutely. so I don't really, I honestly think that God is a lot more creative than me and I leave it to him to take care of the people who mess with me. Creative and has a sense of humor. Yeah. Have you seen the uh, platypus? He knows, he knows people and he knows how to get them where it could. So. See, for, for me, the, 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 the sense of justice and balance wasn't that I was looking for something that was you know, righteous in any way or revealing. I just needed to feel, it's who I am, I needed to feel that I was heard, that I was recognized in, in, my, in my anger and that I didn't want an apology, I just wanted to be heard. Yeah. And I didn't get to be heard. And so that loss is what I'm, is what I'm dealing with. It's a loss of not being heard. Well, people are hearing you now. Hey there. You never know. 
Like hey. you just might get millions of <laughs> listeners one day and then you're being heard Look way back more. on this. Yeah. My, um, my little sister has that, has that, it, that kind of relationship with God as well. She uh, tries to put a lot of her problems and issues in his hands. And though she struggles quite a bit, he tests her very much in yeah. her life. So even though I'm not religious, I still say little inner prayers for her and um, talk to her and try and, try and be a, a voice of calm talk her out of her tree, help yeah. her out, be there for her. But it's, you know, where you have let go of control and that's your relationship with your God, she can't let go of the control. And I think that's her problem with her relationship with God. Right. She needs to be a recovering type A. Mm, that's exactly right. I should tell her that. Mm-hmm. I think I will, little sister. <laughs> um so moving on to more of a positive, yes. lighthearted conversation, <laughs> I want to talk about your um, career history a little bit oh because my. you've gotten to travel, Yes. but also I would like to talk about your career at Starbucks. Mm-hmm. All right. That was, that was fun. Um, so my background predominantly was in either accounting or legal services because I felt if there was any sort of recession or there was you know a need for jobs that the world will always need accountants and lawyers. And that was pretty much it. So I got a background in both, both accounting and, and legal assisting. And I was working for, I won't I was working for Bill Gates's dad's firm in Seattle, which was then called Preston Gates and Ellis. And then I went on to be recruited by Nordstrom Product Group, worked for them in the legal and helped with the um, Fossanab acquisition. And then they went through their rounds of pink slips when they grew too fast back in the early 2000s they grew too fast too much I finally got laid off after the third round which was fine by me but Starbucks picked me up and it was the most perplexing experience of my life going for a job interview I interviewed with 14 different people over you know a week's time I think we have to pause and mention that when I say Starbucks I mean corporate yes <laughs> so this was like a barista position this was not this was corporate yeah. this was at the uh, the mothership uh, the SSC uh, in Seattle the uh, Seattle Service Center in in the, the city and um, so I, they hired me in the legal department I went from being uh, a legal assistant in intellectual property to family law because yes we have a family law division in Starbucks um, to litigation to real estate and I wound up landing in corporate and securities and supporting the the assistant general counsel and vice president of corporate and securities who reported directly to our general counsel Paula Boggs who is a dear friend of mine and I love to pieces. That's another story. And I got to work with people like, you know, uh, Oren Smith and Howard Schultz directly and uh, had the best time. But what I learned a lot about that was the Starbucks culture was so beautiful. It is beautiful on a corporate level. The, the acceptance, the inclusion, the opportunity. There was so much to be had. Um, what came of that was just a long opportunity to grow and self-develop and work on various projects like, you know, when we bought Sales, Sales Best Coffee, I was on that project. And when we bought Torfazione Italia, we was on that project. Wait, Starbucks bought out Seattle's Best Coffee? Yeah, we owned it. I didn't know that. We owned it years ago, yeah. And Torfazione was part of SBC, Sales Best Coffee. Wow. So they're, they're, so they're just going out and buying all their competitors. Ethos Water that they carry in the stores? Yeah. They bought that company. Yeah. I didn't realize. Tazo Tea was a separate company. We bought Tazo. Tazo Tea I knew about. Yeah. 
So they, they bought, they've, act, they've acquired all these entities to kind of further the, and bulk the portfolio, but all in a way that was synchronous about you know, how it supported itself. You have the coffee, you have the tea, you had different types of coffee. Um, the Starbucks brand, uh, when McDonald's approached, I think McDonald's approached Starbucks, wanted to put their Starbucks coffee in, Starbucks, in McDonald's stores. And Starbucks did not want to, let's say, lower their, their, standard, their standard review by being in a McDonald's. McDonald's. That makes so much sense. So they bought SBC, Sounds Best Coffee. SBC coffee in a, in a McDonald's because it was not necessarily bad. It just wasn't a an elevated brand like Starbucks was. It's a power move. It was a power move. Yep. And it was a pretty dynamic one because they started carrying SBC. And it was it was superb. Um, and what I liked about that was in the fact that they made these really smart moves, they recognized their mistakes. Howard has always been at the helm. He's always had people's health care at heart. Um, even if you worked part-time, you had to keep a minimum of 20 hours a week, 20 hours a week to have full health care, full health care, and um, tuition reimbursement. You know, they took care of their people so well. So in, in, in the view of all these unionizations that are happening across the country, I'm kind of more on the Starbucks side where I say, you know, you've had these great benefits. Whatever the issue is, work with corporate, not, you know, if your manager or your district manager or your area is having problems, work it out. Don't run to unionization as a fix of this because you're going to be winding up paying for that through your paycheck. Yeah. It does, you, you, being in a union doesn't come free. It costs you. Well, I think we live in a very entitled generation. Thank you. So <laughs> the more you give, the more people expect. Mm -hmm. You would think that they would just be happier, but they're not. And so it's just crazy to see how things have morphed and changed and... I still think there are a lot of young people, like myself included, that still have like old school traditional values. Yes. I mean, your parents instilled in you, you know, the, the value of hard work. Yeah. And what you get from that hard work is not only a sense, a sense of, of oneself and one's contribution, but how you are seen in the eyes of your peers and what that bleeds over into your life doing other things. That hard work pays off. In an entitlement, you're not really working hard. Right. And there's also this like expectation, like I've heard people nowadays come out of college and say it's the era of the employee, not the employer. Right. Which is so crazy to me. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's one thing if you want to be an entrepreneur and be your own boss. Listen, there's all kinds of people in the world. There's a niche for everyone, but you can't go into like a corporate job and expect people to just hand you something on a silver platter hand you everything from a higher salary to the benefits to the projects to the promotions no you have to work hard for it we all want to make like you know six figures but you have to be it depends on your job right because not right. all jobs are going to make that right. and then also it, it matters like what are you adding value right and does your does your value in that value that you add to the company. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it benefiting the company? Is it benefiting you in the job in the company? Is the company growing and better because of your contribution? Or is it just a contribution for the sake of you, you know, padding your resume or you trying to get points? Are you truly being invested in it or are you doing it for yourself? That's a really good point. I mean, there's there's a side to that. When I when I was with Starbucks corporate, I had the chance to come out to the Midwest, out to St. Louis to open up the Starbucks market. And I opened the, the um, Gateway Region Office because I thought it was a great opportunity for me to really branch out outside of legal 
into more of an entrepreneurial type of setting. So I opened up the office here. It was, it was not far from our workspace. Oh, wow. Yeah, off of Craig Road. And uh, I opened up that, and I was hiring district managers. I was finding Starbucks locations. I was working with the real estate team. I was working with uh, training all the uh, Starbucks partners on, on new initiatives, new beverages. I was helping them with the, the holiday promotions. It was so fulfilling being such an integral role in that. And unfortunately, when the recession hit in 2008, we closed the 11 offices we opened that were remote. Wow. And I had a choice of either staying in a store with the company or leaving. And at that point, I could have gone back to Seattle if I wanted to, but I thought, no, I'm going to give it a go here. It's, it's, it's St. Louis, Missouri. It is cheap as hell to live here. And you're so close to everything else, you can just drive there in, a, in half a day. So I thought, let's give it a go. And that's when I went into a store, the one on Chippewa and Lansdowne. My friend Mac was the manager, and he wanted me in his store. Um, this, is not, this is not to pat myself on the back, but based on the role I had played before, a lot of the managers wanted me in their store. But it was Mac who said, I'll give you what you want. Whatever you want in the store, tell me what you want, and you can have it. Just come work for me. And I said, all right. I don't want to work weekends. I want to work specifically Monday through Friday. I want to work from 6.30 a.m. to you know maybe five hours of the day. I want to get my 20 hours a week. I don't want to work drive through I don't want to make beverages. I want to be the face of customer service at that point of sale where I get to know every single customer that comes in and I have their coffee waiting for them when I see them in the parking lot at six o'clock. I want to have, I want to have you know, the information on their kids that they were looking for. I want to know, ask how their dog is doing after the vet. I want to be that face that knows everyone. I love that. And I'm still friends with many of those customers today. Oh, for sure. And I'll see them out on the street and they'll say, how's it going? You know, we'll just get to talking because I was the face of that. I gave coffee classes and coffee lessons um, and it worked really well for, for the longest time. Um, but I couldn't support myself financially doing that. And so I started my own business. And that's when I went into interior design, which was kind of on a whim that some friends, I was helping some friends uh, organize their space. And they said, you should do a business. I thought, hmm, if I can make money off this, then yeah. So I started doing some projects for friends where I was going to the houses and helping them downsize all their clutter and their crap. And not just taking it from them, but having that kind of psychological talk about why are you holding on to this? What purpose does this serve? Why do you need it? And some were true hoarders that just couldn't let go. And some just, just couldn't be bothered to, to go through it. And I took my business, I called it Redo, the home and office redone. And I would go through people's homes and offices and businesses and I'd start saying, okay, let's first identify what you want to have happen here. Once we identified that, I'd say, let's go identify the things that you need to get rid of. And I had sticky notes. I had red, yellow, and green. So I'd say, I want you to put sticky notes on all these things over here. And red means I won't touch it, okay? Green means it can go. Yellow means you're not so sure. And so they do that, I'd come back, and I'd take all the red stuff away. And I'd take all the green stuff away. And we'd spend a good few hours talking about all the yellow stuff and why they were so indifferent about the yellow stuff, what purpose it served, how it, how it made whatever difference in their, their life or their home or their business. And I got rid of most of it. But all these things we got rid of, I put into a yard sale and I would sell it off so the profits went back into their home. Oh, nice. So we'd sell it off and we'd, we'd buy paint with it. We'd buy a rug with it, a piece of furniture. And it wasn't that I was doing high-end stuff because my, my clientele were, were the high-end Ladue people or whatnot. They're the, the real salt-of-the-earth people in South City or you know in, in Dutchtown who just really wanted to have a better environment. And it was so much fun. Uh, 
it was a pure joy having that, to be able to go in and take their, their fears about their possessions, soothe their, their anxieties, and give them something in return that was unexpected. You know, a, a new office space, a new living room, a, a new dining room. Um, I did a kitchen for one person, like literally a kitchen by blowing out walls and things. I think the space that you're in makes such a big difference. And um, for anyone who's just listening to the podcast, we're going to try to do like some B-roll over this segment of a little tour of actually James's apartment because it's stunning and it showcases his personal taste. And what's so cool about this is that like, when you have clients, you are sharing your design and your professionalism and your guidance, but at the same time, you're limited by maybe budget or by their vision, mm-hmm. right? Correct. And so your own space, you can really make yours, and I love your space, so I'm excited to get to show people a little bit of this. Well, a little tidbit to those that are listening. This space, um, I lived in this exact same loft 13 years ago. Uh, when I left the relationship before, I needed a place to stay, my friend owned this loft, and he said, well, why don't, you come, why don't you come rent from me? I have a job promotion that's taking me to New Jersey. I need a tenant. He goes, just, you, you, here's, you, he goes, I'll take care of the homeowner's fees. You just pay the rent, and anything that needs fixed, let me know, and you can take care of it, and you can take it out of the rent. It's a really great relationship. So I lived here about two years. That's when I met my ex. We got the house, and we moved in together. So when I left him last year, uh, I was sitting with... I was sitting at some friend's house in Soulard talking about, where am I going to live? What am I going to do? Ah. And on Facebook, the, the Zillow um, a pop-up on my, on my feed, and it showed this building. I said, like, oh, I still live there. Let's take a look. And it's like, oh, I know, that's, I know that space. I lived in that space 13 years ago. And the bank had bought it because my friend that owned it had passed away. Wow. And it was meant to be. It became full circle. So being back in this space and this familiarity is not lost on me. I think there's something to be said, like building on that, that when something is meant for you, it will always be yours. I believe one of your favorite sayings, which I, I cling to, is if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Mm-hmm. And this was meant to be. Yes, it was. So, and wow. here we are. <laughs> here we are, back in the space. Yeah. I mean, listen, James, I could sit and talk to you like forever. <laughs> You're just such an interesting person. You have to check out. I honestly, I say this really about every guest, but I really think you could have your own podcast. Well, maybe you can help me. Maybe I can. We'll figure that out. <laughs> Side topic, different time. Um, but I want to just end by finishing up our story when we first started the podcast, talking about our theater experience. Yes. Because, first of all, I felt so classy. First of all, mind you, I have to tell everyone that when he texted me, I was... At a baseball game. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. I was. Oh, and I was like. Yes, you were. Yes, with the, I with was. the girls. That's right. And I was dressed like in my sports clothes. And I was not dressed and dolled up for the theater at all. And not only that, I had a chiropractor appointment out in Chesterfield. So I was downtown <laughs> here. You texted me. And I was like, absolutely. And mind you, I have no concept of time. But I have learned that you just don't worry about it. And you just do what you need to do. And if it's meant to be, it will be. It will be. And so I rushed from the game all the way out to Chesterfield to my chiropractor. Shout out to Dr. Tony Katakis. He's amazing. Um, and he works at Elite Performance Academy. That's the physical location out in Chesterfield. Quickly got my session in. 
he asked if I like wanted something extra at the end. I'm like, oh my God, no, I'm going to the theater. You need to get me in and out. I don't have time. And then I rushed home and I was like, you know what? How would they know? A little dry shampoo, some perfume, put on some extra mm-hmm. deodorant, changed out of my clothes into something fancy, put my hair up in a bun, always a classic, makes you look super elegant. Mm-hmm. Rushed over here. Meanwhile, you're texting me. Hey, I have this whole way about how I like to go to the theater. You're like, you should come over early for wine, and then we'll make our way over there. And I'm like, yeah, okay. yeah, let's let's <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> you had no idea, but I was like, I was like, I'm not fucking this up. I was like, this is my first opportunity. You know, the first time you hang out with someone, you're like, you don't want to be that person. So you have to be reliable. It's like I could, you know, ghost you later, but the first time like i have to show up so (laughs) jesus i i made it my god that's amazing i made it and i looked fabulous and i even changed my purse to match my dress i would not have noticed that but i think that's an amazing change i did my gender proud but you you showed up we had a beverage we drove down there we got to go into um the uh, uh the bar next door that was the secret. Instead of waiting outside in a line, you go right to the bar. You knew everyone. I'm just brushing off my shoulders, feeling <laughs> like the coolest chick in town. Like, I felt fancy. Order, ordering drinks from Chris the bartender. And also, I, I'm i one of those girls that I like to eat, like, a oh, lot. Oh, right. I'm a foodie, and I need food, or I'm angry. Hangry. Yes. No, just angry. Forget the you, fancy you, word. I get angry. And you ordered the salad for intermission which was so smart because we knew that the restaurant was going to be closing so because you knew the guy you're like hey let's open up the tab and so we ordered my food so it'd be waiting for me by intermission and uh, also i've never taken a drink into the theater before and i ordered the glinda obviously because uh-huh. she's my she's my She's your uh, spirit animal. She's my spirit animal. See, you get me. And so um, just for anyone who hasn't ever seen Wicked, you're dead to me. Um, <laughs> but, but when she comes down, it's she's in this beautiful bubble, and she's wearing this sparkly gown, and she's just very blonde mm-hmm. and popular. Mm-hmm. And popular. Like me. <laughs> and she's so charming. And I, I just adore her. And I was like, I remember the first, this is my second time seeing the show. Ah. First time with you. And I'm glad that I had seen it beforehand because I got to be more chill about just hanging out and, and experiencing the box right, with right. you and experiencing time with you versus like, oh, I want to see the show. Um, but like the first time I did see Glinda come down and I, I had an out of body experience. I was like, this is what people get to experience when they're with me. <laughs> they're so lucky. Um, <laughs> a bubble machine for you at the office. <laughs> I would love that. Just sparkles everywhere. Um, it'd be great. So what happened was we, at intermission, we made a beeline for the bathroom, mm-hmm. but you knew where the secret bathroom was. Don't tell them. I won't tell you guys. All I will tell you is that I'm in the know and I did not have to wait to use the restroom and I had time to get a drink, a second drink, mm-hmm. third drink. It was my third drink. I think it was your third drink and eat some of your salad. Uh, all of it. Or all of your salad. I all eat right? all of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But all we got right. into such a good conversation. That was like our first deep, like in the high school, we used to call them DMCs, deep, meaningful conversations. Oh, I like that. Yeah. It's like whenever you, you don't need to talk, you just, or schmooze with your friend, you're like, hey, Let's have a DMC. I like that And that meant that that person knows we're going to talk till like 2 a.m. at least just about our souls and our life. And then we went and uh, 
intermission came and went and we were just still chit-chatting but like i said i had seen the show yeah so i wasn't in a rush it was about spending time with you it was about being in a theater it was like this whole experience where we were talking to um remind me his name chris chris the bartender the bartender we were just chit-chatting with everyone and i'm like who am i (laughs) this is so cool mind you also that we got the corporate baseball seats earlier that day and i was also just a few rows from home plate so it was the day yeah i had a day that was a great day well now that you say that kind of retrospectively i didn't really put that in tandem with the theater and so it's like wow i've gone from like home plate seats to yeah. the theater meanwhile i was burnt for months afterwards because i'm white i'm like albino i'm just glowing i think they call that shark bait white <laughs> it's all right um but no it was so great i had such a wonderful experience and i i had a wonderful experience with you because you made it you made it like i saw it for the first time again it was it was pure joy and yeah. uh, just unabashed frivolity. That's my goal in life because I feel like I said I was so intense and so adult like from a young age that once I kind of accepted who I was and where I was at in life, I just, I the, here, this quote is beautiful. The goal is to die young as old as possible. Oh, okay. So retain like a childlike personality. And to this day, like people still think I'm so much younger than I am. And as a woman, I'm not mad at all, at all about that. Oh, I like that. But it's like, I don't know. I always used to, I used to dress in darker clothes, wear darker makeup. My hair was darker. I wore glasses because I wanted to be seen as this mature adult. And now I'm like, you know what? I have the rest of my life to be an adult. I just want to be playful and enjoy life. I completely agree that I I always say when I grow up, this is what I want to do because I don't feel grown up. I don't. At my age, I don't feel grown up. Now, I could take care of shit. I can be responsible. Different. But I like to play. Yep. Work yep. hard, play hard. Absolutely. I, I, I enjoy I enjoy the, uh, the downtime because if you don't have that, you don't appreciate all the work that you put into it. For sure. Balance. Balance. It all comes Thank down you. to balance. That's what it works like. So to end this episode, I always like to ask my guests uh, to share something that... So, Backing up, <laughs> Jew from the Lou started because there is this Hebrew quote, which is "Ezehu Chacham Halo Made Mikol Adam," which means one who is wise is one who learns from everyone. And so, I brought you on because we're just getting a little layer of James St. John, but we're getting a taste of you. And there's so much value that you've added in this episode that you can teach people. But I would like for you to share now something that either a quote or a life lesson that someone has taught you that has impacted you and you want to share with the world. That little touch of wisdom, I can definitely do that. So earlier in this podcast, I had referenced this woman named Paula Boggs, who was the general counsel of Starbucks. Uh, What I didn't say at the time was I'd known Paula for many years. When I worked at uh, Preston Gates and Ellis, she was an attorney and I was a legal assistant. So we, we knew each other then. When she came to Starbucks uh, corporate, I was already there and it was a, like a homecoming and we spent the next few years working together. And I had I had a struggle going through shifting from each practice group, like going from intellectual property is, is one mindset versus real estate versus corporate securities. And Paula pulled me aside in her office one day and we sat down to a cup of coffee and she was talking to me about, you know, all these things I'm doing, all these opportunities I have, but that I was, I appeared to be 
overly extending myself in sort of an, an aimless manner. She goes, you look like you've got this going, but you don't, you don't project that. What's going on? I was just saying, well, I'm just, I'm just trying to do all these initiatives and be all that. She goes, you know what? Look at it like this. There's freedom in a framework. Let someone provide the framework and you have the freedom to work within that. When you go outside the framework, that's when you start causing problems. And your framework can be as big as you want. It's not saying you have to be contained. It just says that you have a framework now that gives you structure. And in that structure, you're free to fly. Yes. And you can change the framework as much as you want. Just make sure you keep a framework to keep you grounded. Otherwise, when that framework breaks, you invite in all the chaos and you become more more difficult to understand where you're going and what you're doing. It becomes more chaotic, more mentally um, challenging to really find a sense of self and a pace at which you can grow. So I've always had freedom in a framework and I actually have one of her albums. She is part of a band called the Paula Boggs Band. I bought their album called Janus, which Janus was the god of change, the Jupiter. And it's in my in my house here and I have it in a nice frame because it reminds me every time I look at that of Paula's words of freedom in a framework. Love that. Well, this was so great. Moral of the story is if you overhear a conversation of someone interesting that you've always <laughs> wanted to be friends with, push your way in. And if someone wants to go to Wicked, you better fucking take them. That's right. <laughs> Oh, so good. Okay. So everyone who's listening, thank you so much for coming back. If you're a new listener, welcome. I hope you enjoyed this episode and please share it with some friends and leave a five-star review. And um, yeah, we'll see you next time. I hope everybody has a great week. Let's get it. Let's go. Yeah.